Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now Autopsies. We've all heard of them. We've all seen them. They've been used as evidence in trial. But do you really know what all goes into an autopsy report and how it's done? By definition, an autopsy is a post-mortem examination to discover the cause of death or the extent of disease, also known as post-mortem examination, abduction, necropsy, or autopsia cadaverum. It is considered a surgical procedure that is performed by a specialized medical doctor called a pathologist. A pathologist studies the causes and effects of disease or injury. The word autopsy comes from ancient Greek, autopsia, which means to see for oneself. Autopsies have been around since the 17th century. Autopsies can be used in many circumstances such as to determine if death was natural or unnatural, injury source and extent on the corpse, when a manner of death must be determined, the time since death, establish the identity of the deceased, retain relevant organs, and if it's an infant, to determine live birth and viability. Autopsies are also used to teach medical students or even doctors how they could have done better or differently to save someone. This is typically only done when the person gives consent before death or if a doctor seeks permission from the next of kin. Autopsies are actually declining in frequency and have been since 1955. Most people never undergo an autopsy and it is typically reserved for cases where the doctor cannot determine a cause of death, the death is suspicious, or a family member requests one. Every local government has an official who records death, either a coroner or a medical examiner. Most states require medical examiners to be doctors, but a handful don't. Coroners actually do not have to be doctors, but a lot of them are. Since coroners are usually an elected position, a doctor usually takes the most votes over someone running who does not have a doctorate. A lot of coroners, even ones that are doctors have no medical training, so they rely on a medical examiner if an autopsy is being done. Most medical examiners are pathologists. Typically, they are able to tell how a person died without the need for an autopsy. Even though laws vary, nearly all states call for an autopsy when someone dies in a suspicious, unusual, or unnatural manner. Many states have one done when a person dies without a doctor present. 
27 states require it if the cause of death is suspected to be from a public health threat such as a fast-spreading disease or tainted food. So when an autopsy begins, the first thing the ME does, which is the medical examiner, is they visually look over the body. This is where the sketch typically comes from. When they notice anything unusual or different on the body that can be seen by the naked eye. The body is photographed, clothing and position of body is noted, any evidence that is residual, where it's like dirt or paint or anything like that, is gathered off of the body. Ultraviolet light is used to double check for anything not visible, and samples of hair and nails are taken. Once the external investigation is complete, the body is removed from the bag, undressed, and any wounds are examined. Then the body is cleaned, weighed, and measured by the diener, which is a German word for servant, and also sometimes known as an autopsy technician or a morgue attendant. The next step is to place a rubber brick called a head block under the shoulders of the body. This hyperflexes the neck, making the spine arch backward while stretching and pushing the chest upward. This makes it easier to access for the Y incision. This is actually three incisions. Two start at the top of each shoulder and meet at the sternum. Then a third incision goes down the stomach and extends down to the pubic bone, going around the navel and avoiding, if possible, any scars. Typically, there is no bleeding during this because the heart is no longer pumping blood and most of it is being pulled to the back of the body by gravity. Although it has been reported that sometimes there is profuse bleeding, and this happens more often with a victim of a drowning. After the incision is made, the flaps are pulled open with the use of a scalpel and the chest flap is put over the face. This is when the cracking of the chest happens, which you've likely seen in a movie or like TV show and shit like that. And, <laughs> I mean... You can hear the sound in your mind right now. But anyway, the medical examiner uses large shears to cut the bones and open up the chest cavity. The sternum is removed so all the organs can be seen easily. Typically, the organs are removed in an order so they can be replaced after. Not all organs are always removed. It depends on the case and the reason behind the autopsy. Blood may be removed from the heart at this point because this is the best place to get blood to test for things like you would test in a toxicology report. The organs go through a lot of clipping and snipping to get those out. Everything is connected inside of us in ways nobody possibly realized unless you are a doctor or a medical examiner. Most pathologists prefer to remove the organs in one big piece, leaving a lot of the connections intact which can help when examining them. Some will take everything out one by one. During infant autopsies, it's almost always just one piece taken out at once. So samples are taken from all of the organs. They are weighed and examined. The stomach is typically open to examine the contents. This is usually very useful in determining time of death so they can see how digested the last meal was that they ate. Typically, the arms, legs, hands, and feet are not cut into unless there's a suspected wound that they need to confirm or identify. 
So since those are left alone, next step is the brain. So the rubber block is moved under the head where the ME makes an incision from one ear across the forehead and around the back, essentially scalping the head. They use a bone drill to remove the top of the skull and sever the brain from the spinal cord and lift the brain out easily. It is then weighed and examined just like all the other organs. After all the examinations of the organs, they are typically replaced into the body, preserved if further testing may be needed, or burned if the body is going to be cremated anyway. Now, of course, there are cases where that did not happen, and it's not legally required for the organs to be replaced or for the ME to even tell or explain to the family where they are. If the organs are not returned, the body is stuffed. Sometimes if the organs are kept out of the body, they will be sent to the morgue and they are placed in the bottom of the casket with the body, so they aren't seen at the funeral but are still buried. It's kind of creepy and it's kind of fucking weird, right? But after the organs are replaced or sold on the black market, <sighs> just kidding. But anyway, after the organs are replaced, um, the incisions are sewed back up with a baseball stick. Typically, all the incisions are in places that can be easily hidden by clothing or hair during the embalming process, so the family still has the option for an open casket. After the autopsy is completed, the body is sent off to the morgue or funeral home where the embalming or cremation can begin and the pathologist begins writing up the report. Sometimes it can take weeks or even months before an autopsy report is finished. Um, a lot of the reason behind the long wait is just waiting for test results. If brain tissue needs to be tested, that actually takes the longest. Even though an autopsy is typically treated as fact, the cause of death is really the opinion of the pathologist performing the autopsy. While they are trained to make these decisions, they are not always correct. In fact, a big defense strategy in murder trials is to question the cause of death and challenge the findings. It's also a source of controversy and conspiracy theories when the pathologists are believed to be paid or say one thing or the other. But outside of those issues, it's been reported that one-third of all death certificates are incorrect. And in 1983, the New York Times reported that autopsies are proving one in four diagnosis wrong. Since the COVID-19 pandemic, autopsies have dropped rapidly due to infection control guidelines, increased caseloads, and fewer pathologists who are comfortable performing the task that's created a huge autopsy shortage. I personally believe autopsies can be a great tool in not only unsolved cases and murder trials, it can also help families understand what happened to their loved ones. I'm sure here pretty soon they'll be picking those back up, you know. Everybody's more chill and shit now. Specifically, there is a story about a retired medical examiner who solved a child's death, which is pretty interesting. Dr. Thomas Andrew had the horrible task of performing an autopsy on a toddler. The 911 call was for an unresponsive toddler, and to the naked eye, there was nothing wrong with him. Even the first responders found no medical problems. 
During the autopsy, everything seemed normal until he pulled back the skin from the scalp. He saw what looked like a large contusion with a distinct pattern. This contusion was above the hat line, uh, which always causes doctors to stop for a minute because it's much less likely for children to get an injury by falling when the contusion is that high up on the scalp. He had no idea what had caused it, and this led him to look more in-depth at the organs for other signs of abuse. He found nothing until he looked at the lungs. In the air sacs of the toddler's lungs, there was a large number of cells filled with iron pigment. Since the child had none of the typical medical reasons to explain it, which would be like congestive heart failure, hemosiderosis, good pasture syndrome, and all the other organs looked normal, he was led to believe it was caused by repetitive asphyxia because compression of the chest can cause the rupture of tiny blood cells. After speaking to the lead investigator and giving his findings, the main caregiver was interviewed again. This time he admitted that whenever the toddler cried or was agitated, the caretaker would squeeze the child until he stopped crying. Sometimes the child even passed out. The last time he did that, the toddler had been asphyxiated long enough to cause him to stop breathing permanently. This caretaker was indicted for homicide and ended up with a plea deal. But it all happened because of the autopsy and the medical examiner. So to end this episode, there are a few insane stories from pathologists and medical examiners that were posted on a Reddit thread. Now, some of these are pretty fucking graphic, so there's your warning. This one is from a Reddit user named Kulichu, and it says, A woman tried to kill herself with an oil heater in the bathtub. The current wasn't enough to kill her, but it was enough to hold her in place while the heater slowly boiled the water. Unlucky. Fuck, man, that sounds excruciating. That is horrible. This one is from Reddit user... I don't even know how to fucking pronounce it, dude. People's Reddit names are weird. Um, it says, A man had died randomly while at work for a company cutting grass. During the autopsy, they found he bled to death internally from a ruptured carotid artery. Turns out the truck they used had a built-in ramp that was held under tension by a spring. The spring was rusted, and the tension of the ramp coming down on it sheared off a bolt head and it fired at him with such force it ruptured the artery without even rupturing the skin. There was a square inch or so of an area where it had the ability to be fatal and it got him. That's pretty fucking unlucky. Um, This one, <laughs> this Reddit user is a little easier. It's Mr. Marcus and it says, A man who had died in hospital from back pain he actually had an undiagnosed spine fracture. Constant handling by the medical staff caused paraplegia and the death from infection and septic shock. Fuck, man. All right, and this this is the last one. This one is pretty funny. It's from Reddit user T Snitty Heavy T, <laughs> and it says, "I did a forensic pathology rotation in medical school in Florida." was working there one day when they brought an old guy in who had been found in his apartment in the middle of the summer with no air conditioning after about a week. 
so he had decomposed pretty quickly. When bodies decompose, the bacteria inside you eats the tissue and releases gas, so bodies tend to be bloated. So when they unzipped the body bag, I wasn't surprised to see that. But I was surprised to see that his scrotum was about the size of a football. No exaggeration. This apparently occurred via the same bacteria process. Anyways, I was being keen, and I think they liked me, so they took a large board needle and stuck it into the scrotum to let the gas escape. Then they took a lighter and lit the end of the needle, so as the gas was escaping from the scrotum, it burned like a blowtorch. Lasted for about 20 seconds. They justified the process by saying, It decreases the smell in the lab. Talk about seeing things that very few other humans have. The scrotum blowtorch. <laughs> Fuck, man. I don't know. That, as fucked up as it sounds, I'd probably be like, ah, You know, I probably shouldn't watch this, but I probably, you know, I can't fucking look away. So, yeah, I pretty funny though but anyway that is how autopsies work what happens and i hope you enjoyed it